Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. This is Matt Leiner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. Alright, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello everybody, welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 333, coming to you on Wednesday, September 18th. We are going to look back to USC's overtime loss to the BYU Cougars in Provo and look ahead to Friday night's big Pac-12 South showdown between USC and Utah at the Coliseum. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back in our respective homes. I am out in Phoenix. You are back in LA. It has been a long time. Uh, it's been a hell of a road trip that, that we have uh, completed. We completed on Monday, and it is Tuesday night to record this to put it up on Wednesday morning. Yeah, the Monday leg of that road trip was definitely quite long. Got an early start in the morning, didn't get back until... 13 hours of being in a car. Yeah, yeah. A little little long, a little long, longer than I expected. Ran into some some traffic for me coming back to L.A. Uh, You ran into some scary, desolate roads driving back to Arizona. There's no interstate from Phoenix to to, uh, Vegas, and it is horrendous that there isn't. They're going to build Interstate 11, but it's not done yet. And they need to get on that really quick, but... What I'm really upset about, more than anything, I'm driving and I'm like, oh my God, this is the first time I'm ever going to go by the Hoover Dam. I got to stop and see the freaking Hoover Dam. I'm pulling up, I'm getting close. I'm like to mile two. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm two miles away from the Hoover Dam. It says Vista Point or Scenic View, you know, a thousand feet. So I pull over, I go into this thing, climb these stairs. It's just a view of Lake Mead. Who the hell cares about Lake Mead? So I get back in the car. I'm like, okay. And there was a sign, there was a little map there and it's like, uh, like Hoover Dam Visitor Center. I'm like, cool. So I'll just get off there and take a picture of the Hoover Dam. I go to the next stop and it says next exit, uh, Hoover Dam Hotel. There's nothing that says Hoover Dam Visitor Center Stop here for pictures on your way to freaking Phoenix. No, no, nothing. So, and you, you can't see the Hoover Dam from the bridge because the dividers are too high. So, no Hoover Dam. Struggle. The struggle is very real. I know. It's, I, I didn't want to see that, that, you know, seventh wonder of the modern world anyways. I, I <laughs> did not. Clear, clearly not. 
I just ran into the problem of knowing that a big stoppage was coming up because there was a big accident on the on the 15. So I'm trying to plan my my trip out where, okay, I'm going to stop right before I get there to go to the bathroom and to get a refill on my drink and then I'll sit in traffic for an hour and it'll be fine. But that stretch of the 15 is literally desolate. There is nothing, nothing until directly after where the where the uh, did did you not remember what the 15 was? I know, but like I thought that because there was like a there was a sign for a rest area coming up coming up in 11 miles. So I'm like, oh, that hopefully that rest area is before the big traffic. And then I hit the traffic and I'm like, well, hopefully the rest area is like in the middle of that big traffic. The rest area was literally like at where the accident was. So it was like, okay, well, uh, just I'm sitting here for 15 for 45, 45 minutes. But um, yeah, I feel bad complaining about like the traffic because like. It was a really horrendous accident, but um, yeah, that's just that's just sort of where I was at. I was just desperately looking around going like, okay, where's the next stopping point and how long will it take me to to literally, literally just inch forward to get there? Be, be happy you made it. Be happy you yes. made it. We were both happy we made it. Yes. Uh, and uh, we'll be back in LA on, well, you, you're already in LA. I'll be back in LA on Friday. Uh, USC and Utah at the Coliseum, which makes this an interesting episode because we're going to combine the BYU fallout with the Utah preview. This is a short week, which has made things really hectic because SC went back to the practice field on Monday, which means you weren't at practice on Monday uh, because it was a short week and because that was a travel day for us because Sunday was a work day uh, over in Sandy, Utah which we have to give a huge thank you to everything that that went down this weekend uh, with our pals, the Dave Geskies, Dave the Greater, Dave the Lesser, Dave from Orange County, Dave from Utah. They were freaking awesome hosting us again uh, in Utah. And, of course, we had a huge meetup at Hoppers in Sandy. 35 different people were there. It was a grand freaking time yeah it was it was just awesome it was overwhelming how many people turned up to the uh, to the meetup overwhelming in a good way and then always always the daves are the absolute best we love the daves the daves are like we are eternally grateful to the daves for their generosity uh hosting us and uh and just being really really cool to be around so uh that's uh that's definitely something that that look forward makes makes the the sort of utah thing uh, opportunity every year, uh, something really, really to look forward to. Yep, always looking forward to that, uh, especially next year. SC goes to Rice Eccles to play the Utes. Um, well, hopefully that'll be just as much of a fun time. Uh, we'll see if the game turns out differently for USC or not. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode because we're combining the the BYU fallout and the Utah preview all in one. We could do them separately, but we just didn't think there was enough time to really be able to do that, right? Uh, so let's get into it and play the rants from the BYU game. You guys had a lot to say about USC's 30-27 to overtime loss to the BYU Cougars. Ray and Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Brian from Temecula. Mark from Cedar City. Jim in Nashville. This is Andrew from Buckeye Country. This is L.A. Fred. Bob in Orange County. It's your boy Brandon. This is Scott from Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, everybody. It's Michael in Idaho. Ryan out of New York City. Top Trojan fan calling from Virginia. Josh from Buckeye Country. Line Coach Tim. Andrew from Fontana. 
Hey, this is Zach from Ladera Ranch, California. First time caller. Rain of Troy Radio. Darlene from San Diego, but watching the game from Grand Terrace. And boy, did that suck. Michael and Alicia. Oh my goodness. This is definitely going to be a rant line. Going back to the rant line. I hope everybody out there enjoyed your stay of execution week that we all received. Compliments of Stanford because we were just given a slap in the face back to reality. Um, that was frustrating and also very disappointing. Man, that was brutal watching that game tonight, dude. I, I just lost the words, man. Just angry. Angry that I had hope. Angry that the stupid false positive from Stanford made me think we were going to do something this game. Made me think that maybe Clay Helen could actually win. A road game. If I had any tears left for this football team, I'd be crying them right now. Because I am sick of getting my hopes up and losing to teams that we have no business losing to in situations that we have no business being in. How can they always have such quality players and they always get outplayed? It's just mind-boggling. Underperform every single game. I mean, honestly, it's just, it's awful, it's disgusting. It's so hard to even find the energy to call in anymore. And I hope this big-ass beer that I just opened tastes a lot better than that load of crap that I just watched for the last few hours. We've been talking about, oh, we should hope to be Big 12 bad. Man, we're just bad. I don't know why I get excited. I don't know why I get optimistic about this team. It's never going to change. It's Clay Helton at the top. It's just frustrating. They need to adjust, but Helton doesn't know that word. Michael, Alicia, great coverage. One thing to say, get rid of Clay Helton. Hey guys, Jeff and Copenhagen. I was just calling to see if maybe you guys had any extra tickets for the um, Fire Helton train. I prefer first class or business class ticket. Preferably with a meal, um, but hell, you know what? I'll take an economy class got one, please give me a call. I got to get on the train. I guess I'm fully on board with, hey, just, let's tank the rest of the season and move on to another staff because this one clearly isn't it. I'm just tired. I want to see this coaching staff gone. Maybe Harold can stay, but I don't I don't know. I want us to have a great year for the players and go to the Pac-12 championship and heck, win it. But the problem is, is that we are eluding ourselves because I see the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, and those teams just dominate. They just dominate, and USC doesn't, and they never will until they get rid of Clay Helton. Fire Clay Helton. I'm tired of this. I blame Pat Hayden. I blame Lynn Swan. I blame Nikias. This entire stretch of former ADs, former president, it all it all comes down to Fultz. Fultz has to make this right. And until fundamental changes are made to this program, we're going to continue to be bad. Talent is nothing without good coaching. And you could see on the sidelines that BYU's coaching was far superior to what USC has right now. If we go 9-3 and three or 8-4, and four, we still need to move on and to get someone out there who is going to rebuild and make us great again. Uh, Urban Meyer, come on down. Na, 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 na. Hey, Clay, bye-bye. Na, 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 Hey, 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 goodbye. See ya, Clay Helton. Nice knowing you. Bye. Disappointing loss, but uh, growing experience for uh, Slovitz especially. Michael, you jinxed us. 
You're the one who called the interceptions, man. Slovis is a deer in the headlights out there. He's literally just staring at people, staring at people, and he's getting picked off left and right like it's a freaking cherry-picking field out there. As easily as USC went down to score on the first drive, and that was very easy. BYU adjusted. No more easy drives for USC. And USC... No adjustments. I don't know. I don't know what happened to the play calling in Keaton after he threw that second interception. We suddenly became a running team, and then that's all we did the entire entire game. I understand Slovis is a freshman, and I understand it's a different look other than Stanford. But why are we running the ball and not throwing it? This is the air raid. Why the f we run it so much in a damn air raid? Then we make our f***ing three star a throw on third down! We have to run the ball, dude. Gotta run the rock. Well, if your linebackers got picked like that, they mean they dropping back in coverage. Run the ball. Run the ball. We're dropping back in zone coverage. They're dropping eight back the whole entire game. You need to adjust. You can't throw anymore against that. They gotta get Marquise the ball a lot more than what they did tonight. You know, he's producing just as much, if not more, than the rest of the running backs. And we changed nothing up. We changed nothing, nothing up. We need to figure it out, bro. We need to figure it out. Sam Darnold is not walking through that freaking door. Give it up. Figure the crap out. Part of me feels like it was a tough road game with a freshman quarterback. Close his only second start. BYU is a decent team. They had a lot of confidence, and they were at home. The other half of me feels like USC's way too talented to be losing this game. And Michael, you said that there is no earthly football reason, I think is the way that you put it, as to why we should lose this football game today. So let's go down the list, Michael. Was there some horrible weather thing that happened that, you know, ended the game before we could at least have a chance to score again? No. Was there some, you know horrific accident or something that happened, you know, or that caused the majority of our team unable to play. No. Was there sanctions or something that hit where we couldn't play any of our starters and we could only play our second and third team? No. We went out there, Michael, and we lost for football reasons. Football reasons, Michael. We lost. And we all knew that the only way USC loses this game is if they beat themselves. And they did with the turnovers, poor tackling. I'm not, I was not worried at all that we would lose. And somehow we screwed it up. We cannot contain a quarterback. What in the world were they doing in that game? What happened to outside containment? No pressure on the quarterback. He had all time to throw. What is a tackle? What is defensive pressure? What is sending a blitz? Clancy, do you know these things? The defense is boo-boo sauce. That quarterback is running 15, 20 yards backwards, and he still gets 30 yards. No game comes down to one play or one penalty call, but that last passing interference call against Pittman, how is that passing interference? That's, I mean, we all saw that, so that could have greatly changed the game. The only reason why that chump kid is running around like that is because 67 is holding on every single play, and that passing interference call at the end has me visibly shaking. Griffith. It's Australian Fandelbe. Hey guys, so I found out uh, the leading receiver for BYU today was one Gunnar Romney. And yes, uh, he is in fact related to Mitt Romney, failed presidential candidate. I mean, even the Democrats couldn't lose to a Romney, but 
Chargers managed to. I'm a USC grad. My grandfather uh, went to BYU. My daughter is actually a student at the University of Tennessee. So uh, out of the three of us, we know who has bragging rights right now. With what's coming up, I wouldn't be surprised if we go two and four. Utah's going to be way more difficult to challenge, even at the Coliseum. So I'm not feeling very positive. This USC team is the same 5-17. and 17. They are the same team coached by an inept head coach that should have got fired. Matter of fact, he should have never even got hired. This is that same team. People over here are talking about, oh, what are we going to be ranked if we go 6-0? and 6-0? Oh? and oh? We're going 2-4. 2-4 through 6. That's what we're doing. I don't really know. Lots of work on it, but I'm always going to be a USC fan, so I guess fight on or whatever. One positive, though, is pictures from the Reign of Troy meetup in Utah. That was awesome to see so many Rothbots out there. Congratulations, you guys, on making a great podcast and a great community and fight on. Uh, anyways, fight on, fight on, fight on, fight on, fight on, everybody. Fight out. As always, fight on and fight out. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, it's Sean from Mid-City-ish. Uh, okay. 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 Yeah. We're done here. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. The rants. The rants, Michael. And, and, and really, Brandon just laying down, laying down the law with his call. Jeez. Yeah. F- football reasons, guys. No getting around it. <laughs> I have never been uh, roasted like that on, on the rant yeah. line, and rightfully so. Freaking rightfully so. Do you do you need some like uh, aloe vera? Uh, some, some aloe vera for that burn? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he he was he Brandon was spot on. All of our callers were spot on. We got so many calls, so many calls that were really you know just hitting the the same points over and over again, which made it uh, you know a, a fun rant line to put together, including the na 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 nas. Two yeah. different people called, like five minutes apart, to do the same thing. Yeah, and, and we're pretty sure it was two different people. Like two different phone numbers. Two different phone numbers. So I mean, they sound a little bit similar, but like it sounds like two different people. Like that, we were just. It was like uh, the the Stanford game with um, Trinice and Darlene both doing the thirty five unanswered points mm-hmm. thing. Like it's just the the Robot community is just the you know they have that telepathic connection where they where they're all one brain uh, great great minds are thinking alike but but man i i, I want to say one more thing about brandon's call i was laughing because you had said there you know there are no football reasons to pick byu in this game well we were having a chat with the tht guys hey, d- don't spoil anything okay don't spoil anything i'll, I'll leave it then i'll i'll wait all right L- save, the, save that for later it's save a teaser for, for later laser. later <laughs> uh, you know, we mentioned our trip to Utah, and one of the things we recorded with the Daves over in Utah was a fan cast. You can listen to that fan cast where we talked to the Daves about being a USC fan. We talked to, uh, you know, going to to the Utah trips and uh, and so much more. We played Stump Michael. We we talked about Tom Hanks movies, a bunch of random stuff. Uh, you can listen to that and so much more, including Alicia's rewatch going down into the BYU game uh, in detail, talking about every single moment there, uh, and so much more, including Practice CarCast. Patreon.com slash Troy. Get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty-five a month. 
For 10 bucks, you get to join the Slack community that we have that is absolutely growing and becoming insane. Uh, during the game, I or after the game, I scrolled through there to read everything. It's literally flying a mile a minute during a game. Everybody chiming in. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Oh, oh crap. Whatever it is. It, it is fantastic. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Yeah. And the, and the Slack, the Slack is really, really fun. Just the interactions that everyone has. And what's one of the sad things that it, I have being down on the field, um, which I guess, you know, uh, the Notre Dame game is the next game that I won't be, um, you know, I, I will actually have internet connection and a computer available to me. I'll, I'll get to jump in there as well and, and get to try and keep up with the mile a minute uh, commentary. But even if you're not in the Slack crew, which I recommend you be, Patreon uh, 555 Club is still, we're turning out content, we're turning out stuff to help you um, celebrate USC's highs or sort of process USC's lows as well. That was one of the conversations that I had with people at the meetup uh, in Utah was that how our shows help them process the things that happen on the field for USC, how, how it helps them like decompress and understand things a little bit better and process it just mentally and get through it all. Uh, so even when things are not going super well, like after the BYU game, hopefully it can be like therapeutic, uh, some of the stuff that we're putting up on, on the Patreon. Uh, so, you know, it's always, it's, it's seems to be worth it. Yeah. Patreon.com slash of Troy, where you can get all of our bonus content. Alisa, before we get into the rest of this podcast, usually we go to the news, but this is an accelerated podcast. I feel like it's big brother. This is like a, um, a double eviction week. One whole week of Big Brother in one hour. That's what this is. That's what this episode. You don't even get this reference. I do not get this reference at all. It's really sad. You need need to start watching the BB. Point is, let's get in the news right now before we take a break. All right, Alicia, you weren't there in practice on Monday, but the big news was that Brew McCoy is back onto the field for the USC Trojans. Yeah, so he is uh, warming up with the team. He is not in pads yet. He's still working with a trainer to sort of get him into football shape and get him back healthy and fully ready to go. So it's really just good news that he's out being able to be with the team on the practice field and that you know Clay Hilton told the media on Monday that his fevers have stopped. So once the fevers have stopped, they can get him on the process to getting back uh, to full speed. And that is ultimately the best thing for Brew McCoy and for USC. Although, I mean, it, it just doesn't look like he's going to play in 2019. Still no word on his waiver uh, request from the NCAA. And even if that weren't sort of hanging over all of this, you just got to think that a guy who's just been through, what, <laughs> two months of continuous fevers, uh, he's going to need a little bit of time to get his body right. Uh, before he even starts to think about getting embedded into the offense. So looking forward to see him in 2020. But the biggest thing is just that he's that he's healthy now, and that's really uh, the important thing. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, you know, even if he did get his waiver approved, I would imagine that he would be Kyle Forded as I, I like use using- that as a as a verb. I like using Kyle Ford as a, as a, as a verb here, Kyle Forded. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, you'd think at, at the very least he'd be Kyle Forded, which is to say held out until November and given the the four-game redshirt. Yeah, like like Nico Horner at the Cubs calling up at shortstop, sort of, kind of. Uh, anyways, uh, other news, uh, people who didn't practice 
on Tuesday include Amon Ross St. Brown, Isaac Taylor Stewart, and Andrew Voorhees. But guys who were there that previously were injured, uh, Greg Johnson was in concussion protocol, but he practiced on Tuesday. Christian Rector missed the BYU game with an ankle injury. He practiced on Tuesday, and he's super excited to get back on the field the Coliseum on Friday against the Utes. Yeah, it's it's really good to have Christian Rector back for this game. You know, the he's one of the veterans on this defense. He's one of the most important players on that defense, at that defensive end spot. And that defensive end spot is going to be very, very important in this game going up against Utah's spread attack, Utah with another mobile quarterback that USC is going to have to deal with. And uh, having Christian Rector back out there is is only good for, for the Trojans. You know, I, I like Connor Murphy. I think he did some things uh, well against BYU, but he's not at the level that Christian Rector is in that spot. And it's better to be able to have him roll in uh, in, uh, you know, in, in different situations with Christian Rector providing more of a solid base there. Yep. Uh, you would hope that Christian Rector can get back on the field. He had three and a half tackles for loss. Uh, last year against Utah, I feel like he could have had about four more in that game. Easily. Uh, yeah, so this is a game he's going to want to uh, to to really make his mark yet again. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back and talk about USC's loss to BYU after both of us have rewatched the game and looked at it a little bit clearer uh, and talk about the over-under that we did for BYU as well. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, USC loses an overtime game on Saturday, the first time in eight years, which means it was the first overtime loss for our pal, Lil John. He he came to the meetup, and that was his first over, overtime loss. And, you know, man, I, I feel bad for, for your first overtime loss. One of those things that's really difficult to get over. I, I remember my first way back in the day, and... You just have to keep trucking because the thing about overtime losses is that they're close and they'll stick with you, but the next week there's another game and there's another game on Friday, which means more football on the way, more chances for USC to potentially uh, make good on the opposite of an overtime loss. Hey, you got to get that overtime loss out of the way. Like, it's just going to happen. I mean, in theory, you could go your whole life without ever having to experience an overtime loss, but, you know, John's going to have to Gonna have to, you know, grow up, re- realize the the pain of being a sports fan, and then realize the joys of being a sports fan too. There's ups and there's downs, and the Liverpool transference theory, which we'll talk about later, is alive as ever. So, oh yes, yeah. Uh, let's get into this BYU game. SC loses thirty twenty seven in overtime, as we've discussed. Keen Slovis throws th- three picks. One of them is in overtime, ends up being the the game losing play um you know we we talked about it in the car cast we stressed the idea of like it, it felt like the offensive line kind of cost usc this game uh that you know as as bad as the defense was f- for highlight real plays for byu sc could have still won this game without defensive performance and that's not an excuse to the defense it's more of a testament of the defense gave up 27 points in in regulation uh, usually when your defense is terrible, they're giving up 40 points. They gave up 27. This wasn't a defensive performance in which there was no chance for the offense. The The offense absolutely had chances here. Uh, they set up the defense with, with short fields. It could have been so much better on both sides of the ball here. 
But there were chances on offense, and it came down to the offensive line. That was our thought going into the rewatch. You and I rewatched the game on Sunday. Uh, needless to say, uh, that kind of got confirmed rewatching it. It did not look good for the offensive line in the slightest. The most jarring thing about that offensive line is I had the perception that the offensive line was definitely losing their battles, but um, I on the field, I don't think I realized how 90% of those lost battles were against three-man fronts. Like, I just, I think I just assumed that you, that BYU must have been bringing four at some point, four, five, six at some point, um, occasionally, once in a while, and that when they were getting the pressure, it was because they were bringing those numbers. They literally never brought the numbers. It was a three-man front the entire way through, and they even got pressure on a two-man front. It was embarrassing. It was utterly embarrassing of an offensive line performance from USC, and that is really the that that is really the problem. This is a BYU defense that was giving up 240 yards, 260 yards on the ground in their previous two games, and USC couldn't even do that. They could like like the, BYU was begging USC to run, and USC acquiesced on several occasions, and they still couldn't tear this B, BYU defense to shreds that way uh, because they were just flat out losing battles, individual battles, physical battles. You know, they call them the uh, physical beats. You know, the number of physical beats that uh, that uh, Kiris Tonga, the the nose tackle or nose guard, whichever whatever designation they use. The number of, of physical beats that he put on USC's offensive linemen was it was just out astounding, astounding, and all credit to him because he was a monster. But at the same time, like USC's USC's athletes up front have got to be able to withstand that. At least some, like it's one thing if you let him get pressure or let him you know bowl you over a couple times when he's bull rushing into the backfield. Over and over and over again, whether you're one on one or double teaming him, just my God, it was bad. As good as the Stanford performance was, this was the equivalent of the bad side of this for this offensive line. Yeah, they made him look like the second coming of Warren Sapp, and I I don't know I don't know where it comes from because it'd be one thing if they were just if they just didn't have the ability to handle the numbers, I didn't have the ability to handle the blitz. But we're talking about double teams that Tonga was just able to just push back like nothing, nothing. And it's insane because Tonga was not someone that we had really talked about in the preview, not someone to, how how do I put this? He he wasn't a dominant player on paper uh, to the point where we could sit here and be like, well, this could potentially happen, right? Like we we knew BYU had size and, and, but their defensive line was, I mean, their their run rush defense was 128th in the country last week. Yeah, and and that's the thing is normally when we're looking at uh you know the uh, the opposition, especially non conference opposition, we're depending on sort of the game notes that the school itself puts out on the reporting that other publications are doing. We're tra- sort of trying to get a, a an image of the of the uh, of the opposing team based on putting together their observations. And Kiristanga was not discussed as this guy is going to wreck opposing offensive lines. Like, he was a veteran. 
veteran, big bodied, you know, who's going to hold his own in the middle, but not he's going to bull rush your center back five yards into your quarterback on 70% of the plays. Like <laughs> that, that was just beyond, beyond anything that I think anyone expected from him. Yeah, and he made Brett Nealon a, a little Cyrus hobbyish in in this game, yeah. which is which is unfortunate because we had talked about the offensive line had through two games, the first two games of the year had been so um po- positive. There were reasons to feel you know confidence in what the offensive line was doing. We had talked about it before the season that each one of those guys on the offensive line we felt you know pretty confident in. Uh, it was just a matter of could they put it together as a collective unit. And through the first two weeks, it sure looked like they were. There was the breakdown on the sack uh, with with JT Daniels in which he tore his ACL, but outside of that, there weren't systemic breakdowns over and over and over again. And that made a lot of sense because Fresno brought an all-out blitz, and like right. that happens when you just overwhelm a, a line. Like That's not what... BYU was not overwhelming anything. Uh, right. In terms of the numbers they were throwing at USC, yeah, and and yet SC just could not get any sort of push up front, which which leads them to the issue in this game, uh, in which the air raid struggled because you uh, BYU is dropping eight guys back, takes away a lot of the passing lanes, uh, creates more difficult decisions for Keaton Slovis to decide where he's going to throw the the football. Uh, ultimately, led to those three interceptions, but if they're doing that. You should be able to run the football. You should be able to find holes. You should be able to have success on the ground. And SC did not do that in this game. Uh, I guess you can look at the numbers, and yeah, they ran the ball, you know, pretty decently. It was 177 yards or something like that. But compared to every other team that played BYU has played BYU this year, it's the lowest uh, total that BYU has allowed. With USC having the best talent uh, that BYU has faced in the backfield. Um, and it was just completely inconsistent. Uh, on one play, you'd have Marquis step with blockers out in front of him, and he'd pick up a big game. On the next one, uh, Stephen Carr was getting tackled as soon as he was getting the handoff. Yeah, and it was really the inconsistency. The reason USC's running backs averaged, it was, I think it came out to 4.17 yards per carry in this game, the reason that they averaged as high as they did was because they did break off quite a few runs, but the run game was very, very feast or famine. They were either getting the 16 yards, the 7 yards, the 9 yards, or they were getting stopped for nothing, stopped for one yard, stopped in the backfield, having to sidestep people in the backfield, or specifically having to sidestep their own center. One of the best plays in the game was a little shovel pass where you the the reason the shovel pass worked to I forget which running back it was, but uh, it was Carr. In the third it was quarter. Carr. The reason it worked was because Tonga had barreled Nealon out of the way, and so he'd almost vacated the space in the center of, of the of the line so quickly that it opened up the lane for Stephen Carr to, to to catch that shovel pass and go. So like that was the only time it really it, it was really working, and you're not going to be able to to sustain it if you're. I mean, that's what was typical of USC's offensive line and and run game performance in 2018. Feast or famine and feast or famine. Like, the last thing you want for your running game is to be feast or famine. Efficiency and consistency is really important because then you're you're on schedule, right? If your offensive, if your running game is 
you know, one yard or 16 yards, you're going to end up off schedule a lot of the time and it's not going to do well, especially when you weren't BYU was having having enough success stopping USC's run game that they could feel confident that what the defense that they were running was fine. They didn't need to bring people into the box. They didn't need to take people out of the passing uh, sort of passing concepts and, and put them in place to, to deal with USC's run game because USC couldn't sustain their run game to begin with. So BYU just had to bide their time. And that's ultimately what they did. Yeah, and it, it worked out for the Cougars. They outlasted USC in overtime, 30-27. to 27. Uh, Let's talk about Keaton Slovis a little bit in the passing game. He's gotten heat for his, his decision-making, uh, particularly in overtime. Uh, the, the final pass he throws to Drake London. Drake London's not going to... to be in a position to convert the first down, neither would Amon Ross St. Brown or Michael Pittman or Tyler Vaughns, anybody else on that play. Uh, when you look at overtime and we look at, you know, really everything as a whole, how do you judge Keaton Slovis after re-watching that game? Well, he can't make that throw. He just, I mean, he lived to find another day. You can't make that throw. You can't ma- throw an interception in overtime when your defense has already gotten a stop to force a field goal. You just can't make that throw. You need to be careful. And... It was it was that he made um, the same mistakes as he had made earlier in the game where he stared down a receiver and threw into coverage and then had a ball batted. And he had gotten lucky earlier in the game where he'd done something similar and the ball got batted into the air and BYU wasn't able to bring it down uh, over by the goal line for USC. So, you know, this time he just got unlucky that, that um, one of BYU's defenders was able to, to grab that ball out of the air, but he... He set that up. He you really can't you really can't do that. I mean, we can have a conversation about what the play was supposed to achieve um because the the receivers didn't run like they I don't know if they if BYU just defended it really well where they were where they were set up or if USC's receivers weren't aware enough of where the sticks were cuz it looked to me like all three of the receivers that were running those little curls were short of the sticks and probably like I I think I said this in the rewatch like I think maybe if he goes to Michael Pittman Pittman you can trust his physicality to get another extra yard to get USC across that line but it really wasn't it really wasn't set up to to necessarily do that and it felt like it just played into BYU's hands yeah it it absolutely did and you know SC's got to figure out an answer because BYU really laid the groundwork for to how to beat SC is you drop guys back in coverage to disrupt the the passing lanes, and you figure out a way to somehow beat double teams up front. And if you well, do that, SC is going to be completely screwed. You clone Tonga, like the basically any team yeah. that has a good defense, you know, has good defensive tackles is looking at this thinking like, man, we're in business. Like, but that's the scary good thing. Good thing SC doesn't play any of those teams. Right? I know, right? <laughs> that's the scary thing. Looking ahead, none of, of USC's those are schedule. on the schedule. Like in two days. Yeah, like, you you look at some of those teams, and they got to be like rubbing their hands together, going, "Man, if Kira's freaking freaking Tonga can do that to USC, then uh, then we're going to be in business." And that's and that's something that the USC needs to solve. And that's one of the things that really frustrated me about rewatching this game, is that everyone could see that happening, and you could see. You know, the the where the adjustments to try and protect Keaton Slovis were there. Uh, they they were running the ball more than I think they would have, except that except that I don't even know if they were running the ball more than they would have wanted to because again BYU's defense dictated that USC run the ball. Um, so like I don't, 
it's so hard to to say. It's just like I kind of wish that we would have seen some adjustments as far as how they were trying to block uh, Tonga specifically or or just across the line. But and maybe that helps Keaton if he has more confidence in what his offensive line is going to be doing in front of him. But even then, at a certain point, it comes down to execution, right? We have been told this is an execution offense, so Keaton's got to execute. Nealon's got to execute. Different receivers have to execute. You know what? Whatever it is. Yeah, I want to talk about the play calling here because play calling has been the big discussion online, message boards, Twitter, uh, all ablaze about oh this looks too healthy or uh, Harold screwed up or, or, or what have you. I got a really strong take about this. It doesn't matter who called the plays. Yeah, the offensive line was not getting any push. It it could have been John Baxter calling the plays. Uh, Don Correll calling the plays. It could have been Cliff Kingsbury calling the plays. If that was the offensive line performance, it freaking did not matter. It didn't matter because they weren't able to run the ball consistently. They weren't able to get any you know protection for Keaton Slovis, who desperately needed a comfort blanket. Um, he couldn't. There there was nothing. I don't really think it mattered what those plays. I mean, who was calling those plays? The difference is, and I think we've discussed this before, is what SC probably should have done is found another way of attack, uh, extended handoffs, go to the screens or something, and and attack BYU that way. But the the other thing is they weren't blitzing, and so it's it's hard to go to the screens when they're not blitzing. Screens are one way you wanted to, you want to attack the blitz because you can get behind those blitzers. But BYU wasn't throwing guys ahead either, so it's kind of easy to see why they weren't going all after the, the screen game too. Yeah. I think one of the dirty little secrets of football is that play calling matters less than people think it does. Cause all play calling looks good when you're executing. Like you can look at, at USC's uh, play calling against Stanford. Was it good play calling or were they just winning every battle? Were, were receivers just getting open? What, you know, were, was USC's offensive line just blocking really well? Like all of those things, the play, Execution makes play calling look great no matter what it is. Now, bad play calling is bad. I'm not going to say that play calling doesn't matter, but there's so much more that goes into winning and losing. And I think people don't like to acknowledge this, but like game plans matter a hell of a lot more than play calling because you've installed game plans ad- and adjustments. It's, the, well, it's yes. both of those. Yes, it's but game plans and adjustments matter. And there, and there more weren't than enough adjustments in this game, which is the problem with the coaching, absolutely. Yes. Well and and you can argue that USC's game plan is is bad for this game because they didn't anticipate how they were going to beat deep BYU's defense. They obviously didn't prepare Keaton Slovis well enough to beat BYU's defense. Uh, or to be prepared for the way that BYU was going to going to defend him, to be able to identify how they were going to going to defend him. The game plan that they installed was insufficient. The adjustments that they that they uh, turned to were insufficient. The execution was insufficient. Was the play calling insufficient? Maybe. But also, the play calling doesn't call for an interception. The play calling doesn't call for a stuffed run. You know, I, I just think play calling is overrated. Hot take. I know. When you have a performance like this on the offensive yeah. line, yes. When your yeah. offensive line is that bad, then play calling is... I think play calling matters. I, I just don't it know does. That play, play calling mattered in that game when you're getting no ability to, you know, hold back Tonga or any of those I just, defensive I just think linemen. Play, play calling is a piece of the puzzle, not the end all be all. And so when all of the other p- puzzle pieces have fallen away and then, you know, pl- play calling doesn't solve your problem, really. 
Yeah, I, it, it still doesn't mean that coaching wasn't a factor. Coaching no, was that's absolutely what I'm saying. The, 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 game, the, the, yeah. coaches, the coaches failed in a lot of other areas before you get to the play calling because obviously 100%. the game plan was bad. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the defense really quick before we get to the over-under here. Um, my hot take is that I thought John Houston was pretty good in this game. Uh, I know Twitter is not a John Houston fan. I thought John Houston played a pretty good game. I mean, USC's linebackers as a whole got kind of, you know, didn't it didn't look good for for any of USC's defenders. Uh, the the linebackers as a whole didn't have a a fantastic game because of the the mistakes that were out there. Uh, Naoteote kept getting blocked out of position. Uh, Hunter Eccles made a few. Um, a, he was very aggressive and kind of got out of position a few times, but I thought John Houston looked really well, uh, as a, you know, a snuffer out of the misdirection plays, um, which USC needs. And, you know, BYU went all misdirection, especially in the first half. They had a lot of success on that. And then slowly as the game kind of went on, John Houston was reading out all of those things and led to different types of breakdowns for BYU. Or sorry, different types of breakdowns for USC's defense in the way that BYU kind of attacked USC, and they didn't have an answer for those either because they couldn't wrap up and they couldn't contain an edge, and those were things that we already knew from the Fresno State game, and BYU certainly exploited it. And there's another team on the schedule in a couple of days that might do the same. Yeah, I, I thought I thought John Houston grew into the game. I thought he was one of the players that seemed to recognize. And learn from the early mistakes. I mean, I I think he was involved in those early misdirection plays that Utah, I'm sorry, that BYU completed. John right. Houston was partly at fault for some of those. But and and that is where, like, I don't know if John Houston is at fault for that, or did USC's preparation for that kind of thing fall short? Because both, you both can be an answer. Yeah, there. both can, both can be the answer there. But to his credit, I thought John Houston recovered rather well and did make a couple really big plays at the end. Uh, honestly, I thought John Houston and EA Naoteote both took a step forward. I think they were both better in this game than I've seen them in the first two games. And I think that's a little bit encouraging because um, EA Naoteote is still a very young player who's still getting used to what it is he's doing. His The balance of the kind of plays that he was putting in, his involvement, his overall involvement, being able to call his name. You told me, you know, going through my, my pictures from the game, like, I saw EA a lot more in your pictures, which tells me that, that he was actually involved in the game. I was like, yeah, I think I think he was definitely uh, more active. So that's a that's a positive you can take from from the defense. You know, they're not perfect, but those guys do seem to be getting better, which is, you know, take what take what you can at this point. Yeah. And when EA was not involved, you can usually look back at that play and see him getting double teamed. Yeah. Which is, yeah, if he's not going to get involved, make the other team double team him and account make, for him. yeah, make, make them account for him and make someone else uh, a little bit open to make a play defensively, uh, which is what you'd want. But, uh, yeah, either way, SC's defensive performance as a whole, not good. The, the safeties I didn't think had their finest game. Isaiah Polamau definitely struggled. Uh, but it's a, it, 27 points. You, you need to you need to score more than 27 points on offense. Again, the story on the Stevens was the exact same story we've known. They are frustrating and inadequate a lot of the time, but they also go out there and make their plays. And all I know is Isaac Taylor Stewart made a hell of a play in the end zone in overtime to prevent a touchdown to force field goal. So the defense did what they needed to do in overtime, put the ball in their offensive on, on their offensive court, and they 
you know, dropped it. I think the three biggest drives in this game, the defense came through. Uh, yeah. The the drive after the second interception, they forced a field goal in a short field. The first drive of the second half, BYU scores there and takes a, a lead, uh, a touchdown lead in, in in the beginning of the second half. I think the entire game changes. And SC had their best defensive drive, creating several Havoc plays on that drive. And then in overtime, SC had a fantastic drive defensively on those three plays. Yeah, Those things were huge and gave the offense a chance to win despite all of the crap that USC had to put through in this game in which Zach Wilson did Zach Wilson things and SC missed tackles and all of that, all the things that went to hell, those three drives put, gave the offense a chance and the offense didn't do anything with it. So uh, that's going to be that for the wrap-up talking about BYU, but let's get into over-under. Uh, from our BYU game. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Alicia, this is one of the all-time greatest over-under weeks of all time. Oh, just beautiful. Yeah. Just glorious. Uh, for the season coming in, I was 8-7. and seven. You were 7-8. and eight. Uh, Your first one, you said over-under 0.5 tight end catches for the Trojans. Uh, USC had one against Fresno, zero against Stanford. You took the over. I took the over. It was over one big one to Eric Kromenhoek for like a billion yards. 60 yards to the tight end. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I won't hear any of this crap about Eric Kromenhoek being too slow. Have you guys seen Drake London get caught from behind? Have you guys seen Dwayne Jarrett get caught from behind? Like I could hardly blame Eric Kromenhoek for getting caught from behind on that play. Big play. That uh, I believe, uh, did they score a touchdown on that drive? Yeah, I think they scored a touchdown on that drive. At the very least, they got a field goal. It was a big play. It was, it was a great play on the, and the little little bit of a wheel route uh, to the tight end. And uh, Slovis found him, and there's a big game. Uh, second biggest moment of uh, Eric Kramerhunk's career, you'd say? After the uh, the first down on the uh, the fake punt last year against UCLA? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, all right. Uh, next one, I said over under six and a half catches for Michael Pittman. Uh, you said under. <laughs> Bad decision there. Uh, I said over, and it was definitely over. Nine catches, 95 yards, career high nine catches, uh, and he had a couple of big touchdowns. Could have had more catches that uh, were reviewed and didn't go his way. Well, let's just be honest. He had 10 catches, so there's that. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, three and a half. Matt Bushman catches, you said. He had six against Utah, two against Tennessee. He only had one against SC. Both of us took the over on that one, so we both got that wrong. Honestly, was surprised they didn't use more of the, of the uh, tight end. Honestly, I, I'm not sure why that, even on rewatch, I didn't quite identify <laughs> what happened in, in that uh, to have that result. Well, they had uh, Lalu Patutau. Um, have a couple catches for 36 yards. And so they, they had so many different dudes catch balls that it made it easier for them to not just hone in on Matt Bushman, which worked yeah. out for BYU because SC knew that my, that Matt Bushman was going to be someone to go after. Uh, next one, I said over under 27 and a half rushing yards for BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. He had averaged 27.6 in 2018. You said over. I said over. Uh the key here was that sacks were included. He had nine carries for 10 yards. 10 rushing yards for Zach Wilson. Yeah. We, we mentioned the car cast. Shocking. 
But that's what happens, and uh, the college football wins sacks count. Well, and honestly, it probably should have been even less than 10 yards because um, you're going to hate me for this, but there were at least three god-awful blatant holds that uh, BYU got away with. So if you if you remove hands from shoulder pads and jerseys of, of uh, BYU offensive linemen, I think, I think he's getting sacked a couple more times. All right, Cheryl. Uh, let's go to the next one. <laughs> Uh, over under 139.5 passer rating for Keaton Slovis. Uh, BYU had been averaging uh, or allowed 136 and 129 to uh, Utah and Tennessee's quarterback. You took the under. I took the over. And boy, was it perfect. 141.8 just over that line. I would like to point out that I set that line. Like, I was too good at setting that line. I was within a point of that line, two points of that line. Like, this this one's got me, this one's got me frustrated. This one's got me real frustrated because the, the dude threw three interceptions. And he's still at a 141. Jeez. Completion percentage, baby. That's great. Killing me. Killing me. <laughs> 141. 141. I know. I know. With three picks. Uh, let's go to the last one, 99.5 BYU rushing yards. I said that was their exact average through two weeks. You took the under, I took the over, and it was over 131 on 40 carries for the BYU Cougars on the ground. Yeah, yeah, I I don't, I don't know. All right, I don't if, you, know. If, if you're not keeping track at home, let's, let's, let's just go over this. Uh, <sighs> you went one and five. I went four and two. Yeah, yeah that's just, right. I'm just setting that's you right. up for the fall, my, like later, Michael. Mm-hmm. Just setting sure. you up for the fall. Sure. For the season, I am 12 and nine. You are eight and 13. How's it feel? Uh, not great. Not great. All right. Uh, Rod Index, we said if USC scores 32 points, they'll win. Guess what, Alicia? If they would have scored 32 points, they would have won the damn game. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> we said if they hold BYU to 16, they'll win. Uh, BYU scored more than 16. Game predictions, USC was favored by four points. They lost by three. Uh, you said USC 32, BYU 25. I said USC 38, BYU 24. Uh, the final score was BYU 30, uh, USC 27 in single overtime. Uh, let's go to the pick'em. Uh, last week in our pick'em league, you went 14 and 13, tied for 46 for the week. I went a pretty picturesque 18 and 9. It was a great rough, week of football for me. Rough weekend for me. Really yeah. rough. We're just not going to talk about the fantasy league, but uh, <laughs> eighteen and nine. Yeah, yeah, you 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 don't want to mention how I trounced you in, in uh, no, head-to-head we're, competition. We're, do we're you? not talking about that. We're not yeah. talking. I what? We're not talking about. It. Yeah, I went eighteen and nine, uh, and the Pick'em League, which is tied for eighth. Uh, to date, you are eighteenth, tied for eighteenth at fifty and twenty-five. I am one game back, forty-nine and twenty-six, which is tied for twenty-fifth. The weeks later, last week, uh, two people went twenty and seven. Uh, Barbecue Chef and the La Brea Tar Pit Bulls. Uh, our leader to date is still. That's sexy, beautiful, gorgeous. Number one ranked, scantily clad Peristyle with a record of 57 and 18. And number two, 
the La Brea Tar Pit Bulls at 56-19, and tied for third is Barbecue Shaft and Kinguro at 55-20. and 20. Yep, we got some good pickers. Got some good pickers in this Pick'em League, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm still kind of happy that Scandally Clad Pair, not that we're rooting for anyone in particular, aside from ourselves, but like, can we all just agree that like, that name still wins everything? Uh, uh, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous name. Uh, yeah. Shout out to you, whoever you are. Scantily clad pair of style. Don't need a blue chew for that, I'll tell you. Uh, let's go <laughs> take a quick break and come right back and talk about USC's Friday Night Affair uh, with the Utah Utes. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia. USC and the Utah Utes. Friday night on a certain important day for you, but we don't have to discuss that if you don't want to. Oh, I don't mind discussing how USC is going to crush my hopes and dreams on my birthday. They've done it before. All right. Well, there you go. Here's the challenge. Uh, <laughs> Utah favored by three and a half points. Uh, S&P Plus has them at a 2.1 point favorite, 45% win probability for USC. The Utes coming off of a 9-5 and five record. They were 6-3 and three in the Pac-12 last year. Won the Pac-12 South, lost the Pac-12 championship game uh, in a tough, low-scoring game against Washington. They're going to be trying to do that again this year, and if they're going to do that, they need to beat SC at the Coliseum, in which they've something they've never, ever done. They only have one win all-time at the Coliseum. That was against U, uh, UCLA way back when. Um, that's 1916. Not against, that's not against SC. Nope. That's oh, a no, long it, was like, it was in the like 50s or 60s that they beat UCLA at the Coliseum. Uh, their game notes say 1916. That they beat, oh, they must, and that must be the last time they beat USC. Yes, in Los Angeles, but it was not yeah. at the Coliseum, which was yes. built in, opened in 1923. There you go. Yeah. So the point is, they've never won at the Coliseum against USC. Uh, that's something that they're going to want to change. And boy, I'll tell you, they got the team to do it. Quarterback Tyler Huntley, running back Zach Moss, Britton Covey, uh, Bradley Ine, John P- Penasini, Lucky Fotu, Max Tupai, Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman. You know all these people because. You know all those people. Uh, yeah, they lost a bunch of dudes. Chase Hansen is gone after like 80 million years on the roster, but this team is loaded. They are loaded to win the South again, and potentially even more than that. And USC needs to find a way to beat them on a short week when Utah's coming in after a semi-bye week in which they played Idaho State at home, an FCS team. Yeah, the, the problem for USC here is that... Like, USC, this is the wrong matchup for USC in every way. Like, USC doesn't want to face a mobile quarterback who can beat you on the edge. And that is exactly what Tyler Huntley brings. It's what they're Um, getting. USC doesn't want to face a defense that has a dominant defensive line. that can totally everybody back on that defensive line from last year, and they were pretty damn good last year, is the best defensive line west of the Mississippi. Yes. And there are some like Lucky Fotu and Bradley and I, those guys are legit. Uh, so if if again, I, I'm not trying to act like Kiris Tonga isn't wasn't a freaking, you know, Superman against USC from BYU. But he's not Bradley and I and he's not Lucky Fotu in terms of just profile and proof, proof of what they've done in the past. Like uh, BYU's rushing defense ranks seventh nationally. That's bad for USC. Their their total defense ranks eighth nationally. That's bad um, for for USC. 
Uh, they're 20th in uh, pass efficiency defense. That's not good for USC going up against them. Like, sixth in scoring defense, 15th in turnover margin. Like, I can just go on and on and on. They're first in the Pac-12 and third down conversion defense. Uh, they're, they're first in first down defense in the Pac-12, 13th nationally. Like, just across the board, this defense is really good. So Mystic Alicia is out in full force. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that USC's offense has just got exposed by BYU as being able to be shut down by a by a good by a defense with a pulse because Stanford's defense clearly doesn't have a pulse. So BYU's does, and they know who they are, and and that's exactly what Utah brings to the table. So that's exactly like everything that Utah that BYU did to to USC, Utah can do the same with better players. With by the way, a Utah team that that blew out BYU uh, earlier this year, so, dominated them defensively. So that's not good. And then on the other side of the ball, like USC's USC's rush defense is going to have to find a way to stop Zach Moss, and no one seems to be able to find a way to stop Zach Moss. And Tyler Huntley is exactly the kind of quarterback USC doesn't want to face. So it's just all bad. Like it's all you don't like USC in any of these matchups. That's this is like. Set up for the the only like I picked USC to beat Utah in the uh, in in before the season started, but that was because like I thought Utah's going to come to the Coliseum and not be not be that good. But I don't think Utah needs to be that good coming to the Coliseum because the way they match up with everything that's going wrong with USC right now. Alicia, are you saying that there's no football reason to pick USC in this game? That, that is exactly <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. There is literally no football reason to pick USC in this game. Yeah, you remember everything we said last week? Yeah. It is the absolute opposite this week. What was up is down. What was black is white. It is the complete opposite. Um, Because the reason Utah loses this game is because of the reasons that we talked about USC potentially losing the BYU game. It's all the peripheral stuff. Oh, they've never won at the Coliseum against SC. Oh, they're not as good uh, against Rice Eccles. Oh, they're always due for a letdown. Oh, it's a Friday they, night. They, it's a Friday night. Oh, it's a, it's a Friday night, a short week. Like all these things. Oh, it's the Pac-12 making the 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 conference favorite play on a short week on the road. Like all of the those things. Oh, it's the head coach those, has a bad track record in in marquee yes, kind of games. Yes, all of those peripheral things that are just lingering. That doomed SC in last week, along with all the football reasons that they lost for. All of those things are the reasons that you could imagine Utah losing this game. Nothing else. Because Utah's defensive line should own USC's offensive line if you watch last week's game. Yeah. Uh, Keaton Slovis is not going to have a fun time uh, if you watch last week's game and then start to predict what's going to go on with this well, week. Utah's secondary is a lot better than BYU's secondary. The- Pretty damn good. Jalen Johnson, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, first team All-Pac-12 coming back with with, Utah, with uh, Jalen Johnson. Like, it's... Yeah, Jalen Johnson. What did I say? I think you said Jalen Johnson. All right, Jalen Johnson. Yeah. I was just... Uh, Julian Blackman. Julian's moved from corner to safety. Yeah, just, again, everything about... And the, the funny thing is, is that Utah, like, USC still has a, a, a talent advantage over Utah if you look at the pure sort of... Uh, star rankings and all that kind of stuff, except Utah has done a really good job of developing guys for their systems and getting the most out of them and putting them in a position to succeed. And 
you know, that's that's not what USC has done. That's not what USC has done. And and unfortunately, that's where the, the sort of standout between um, Kyle Whittingham getting more out of less and what we've seen from Clay Helton getting less out of more. Yeah. No reason to pick USC in this game. None. So what does that mean? Well, I don't want to get into anything yet, but there's I mean, no reason to pick SC in this game. Yeah. There's no good reason to pick USC in this game. Certainly not. Certainly not. No. No, it's just, you know, SC is no chance. SC is just going to get murdered. This is the team that's, you know, the the media favorite to win the Pac-12. It's a team that I've talked about is a potential playoff candidate team. Uh, if they can if they can go together and get everything to 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 work, uh, it's a team that I picked would beat USC uh, before the season, and here we are. Uh, I said SC would be three and zero to start the year, and then lose the next three games. Well, SC's two and one, and certainly are primed to potentially lose these next three games. It's not looking good. Yeah, yeah. No reason to pick you. I mean, sorry, no reason to pick USC in this game. I just, I just look like, I just look at it, and I think USC. You determine whether or not USC is going to win a game by, to me, by what the offensive line does, because we know what USC's defense is. USC's defense is going to do exactly against Utah what we expect, what we saw them do against BYU, against Stanford, against Fresno State. We know exactly what what we're getting from that defense, right? Like they're going to hold Utah to thirty points. Like I'm fairly confident of that. I'm probably jinxing it, but I'm like, it's going to look ugly at times, but they're going to get some big stops and you know, at worst they're going to give up the 30 points. So it's going to come down to how does USC's offense cope? And how I just does USC's keep... offense score 31? Well, how does USC's offense score 31? USC's offense is only going to score 31 if the offensive line comes to play. And I just look at Utah and I see Bradley and I, and he has 20. Okay. This is from the, the Utah game notes. His 20 career sacks are third among active FBS players. His three sacks already this year are tied for the lead in the Pac-12. And that's just one of their uh, one of their their linemen. Uh Lecky Fotu was all, uh first team all Pac-12 last year. Um uh Mike Taf- Tafua, uh if I'm saying that correctly, um is a guy who has produced uh tackle, you know, 8.5 tackles for loss and three sacks last year. Like this, this, yeah, yeah. John Penasini was second team All Pac-12 last year. Like that line knows what it is. It knows what it does. And like Max Tupai is not even in the like in that group. They can bring guys off the bench who have production in their careers. So am I gonna pick USC's offensive line to win the battle against Bradley and I and Lucky Fotu? Certainly no. No, not after no what we saw last week. No reason to pick USC in this game. No. No. None. None at all. No. But, but I'm still sitting here thinking like, well, Utah has to prove they can win at the Coliseum and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Alisa, just stop. There's I'm no football reason it. to pick USC in this game. There's no football reason in which Utah should lose. You know what else, too? Just stop. Like, USC special teams is a mess, right? Like, USC special teams was bad against BYU. Absolute mess. Utah yeah. excels at special teams. Like, is there any area of this, of, and is there any matchup in this game where you pick USC? Not just would no, you pick USC. No but football where is reason a to pick USC. No because football reason Utah should lose. That's the thing. You can't even pick 
you like the closest thing you could do is say that USC's wide receivers might be good enough to go toe to toe with a really good secondary. But like you're still I mean, you're still asking them to beat Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman and all of these guys like I don't I mean, I don't uh, I can't even pick USC's wide receivers. If you if you can't pick USC's wide receivers, then you're in real trouble. No football reason. Utah should lose this game. Uh, but we'll be right back. We'll do some under uh, over-unders about this game in which Utah should not lose. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia. USC and Utah on Friday night. A game in which Utah has no football reason to lose. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Jake. Uh, not Jake Merrifield, but a different Jake. Uh, Hi, Michael and Alicia. I love your show. I have one suggestion. Your over-unders are awesome. They are essentially the prop bets in Vegas, which are a lot of fun for large events like the Super Bowl. However, when Vegas sets the line, they don't also get the bet on the line. Vegas sets the line. When the bettors choose correctly, they win. When they're wrong, Vegas wins. I think a similar system would not only make it more fun, but also help prevent both of you from winning and losing on the same over-under. Fight on, beat the Cougs. Oh, and Cheez-Its rock, Jake. Thank you for the email, Jake. And yes, Cheez-Its do rock. And I'm bummed that uh, Pizza Hut came out with their Cheez-It pizza bite thing, their Cheez-It pizza, whatever it is. And I'm not able to, to have it today, Tuesday, when we're recording. I'm going to have it by Wednesday. So I'll have a full review for you guys, probably in the car cast. It's going to suck. I'm just telling I'm, you. It's not going to be as good as it sounds, but I'm hoping that it's still tasty. Like, I hope we get still satisfying. That's that's all I'm asking for. Just be satisfying. So that's what I'm going for. But I'm super, super, super excited. I'll have a, a review for you guys uh, at some point. Maybe instead of talking about the game on Friday in the CarCast, we'll just have a full, you know, full replay of, of the cheese at pizza because that's probably going to be more enjoyable than talking about the game. But because here, Utah has no football reason to lose. Because yeah. Utah has no football reason to use. Yeah, lose. Yes. Correct. But to get to Jake's email, I think this is awesome. This is, I mean, this is something we should have thought of. This is absolutely correct. This is the way that we should be doing over-unders. The thing is, we've already started the campaign, and Michael is ahead, and so he doesn't want to give up, you know, his lead. Oh, don't even do this. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's feeling good, and we don't want to undercut his, uh, his, his triumph at the moment by switching out the way that we do this but but we both talked as soon as we saw this email like this is definitely something we're going to take into account for next year's over under competition including um more listener participation in in these kinds of we things we need to talk about that because our pal dave from orange county is putting together an over under um uh, what do you call it spreadsheets a spreadsheet yeah in which he's tracking everybody's over under that that you know you can join the spreadsheet and you can add in your over unders and he's tracking them because he's he does this himself and it's super cool and if you go to a meetup he'll be like what's your email address i'll add you to the spreadsheet so it's super great that he's able to do this so people are super excited i thought it was really cool that at the meetup uh we we had people sitting next to us uh matt and cat and like they were like oh my god we track over unders from last year too like that is the coolest thing ever yeah so like multiple groups of people are tracking the over unders 
on their own. So we we clearly there's something there's something here. So we clearly need to devise a system wherein everybody can get in on the over under game. And if we do it like Jake suggests, where we do over unders where we're competing almost to stump the other person and the audience, uh, like I did to myself with that stupid thirty nine one thirty nine point five passer rating for Keaton Slovis, which I got right by the way. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Then that's then that's the kind of thing that like would be awesome. So, the, Jake, we are definitely taking this into account for uh, next year. But uh, for now, we're gonna sort of go as is, just for just for fairness. Yep, that is the plan. Uh, let's get to over under. What's your first? Mine is two point three five yards per carry for USC against Utah last year. That was their yards per carry total. Um, They had 73 yards on 31 carries. So will USC have more or less rushing yards uh, or rushing a a better or worse rushing average than they managed last year? Oh, boy. Uh, 2.35. For context, USC had uh, rushed at a 3.8-yard clip uh, last week against BYU. I think... It's got to be over. And 2.35 is just extremely low. And I get all the reasons for for saying that SC can not hit that, but I still got to take the over there. See, I'm curious how Utah's going to try and defend USC. Because they could do just the BYU model. BYU did yeah, they do could the do the thing. BYU model and give USC a lot of reasons to run, but USC might not run in this game if they don't think that they can go toe-to-toe with Utah's defensive front, because which is I their strength. not to run! Well, so that's, 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 my, that's my fear. That's my worry. Also, if Keaton Slovis is getting sacked, then that's going to drop that uh, because that's a basic, you know, actually, I, I, as an aside, I really hate that, that uh, rushing averages take into account quarterback sacks because I think that's, that sort of messes you up. But I'm actually going to go under on this. I'm feeling pretty pessimistic right now, Michael. Feeling pretty pessimistic. All right, you you take the under there. Take take that under, uh, which works out like what Jake was requested anyway. Since I'm taking the over, so it works out. Uh, let's go to mine first one. Over under one and a half. Keaton Slovis interceptions. <sighs> I'm gonna go under on this. I'm gonna put some faith in Keaton. I think he's gonna be a little bit more cautious, and I think he will throw an interception, but I think it will be one and not two. So I'm going under. That's where I'm at too. Uh, I I think that I I'm not a hundred percent confident on this, but I yeah, think me neither. I don't think it'll be three. If it was two and a half, I'd one hundred percent take the under. One and a half, I'm like cautiously taking the under here, cautiously, yeah. cautiously, Hopefully. very yeah. So, uh, what's your next one? All right, one point five sacks for USC. Put this in context. Utah has not allowed a sack in 2019. Will USC give them their first and then double it? So, first of all, Utah has played one team with a pulse, BYU, a team which which we didn't know had a pulse until like five days ago. So, take that for what it's worth. Uh, one and a, half and a BYU team that that a BYU team that's not very havoc oriented. They don't have very good sack numbers across the right, board going right, back right. a couple of years. Uh, and, until they played SC. Uh, one and a half sacks. Oh, yeah. Oof. Oof. Mm. 
Get Christian Give Rector me the back. Under. Give me the under. Under for Michael. All right. We're it's splitting this under. one. All right. I'm, go- I'm going over. All right. I think it's USC will be, will be able to get two sacks in this game. Um, I think they'll be able to take down uh, Tyler Huntley a couple times, even though I think Tyler Huntley on the on the on the bulk of things will be able to get away from USC. That's and, where I, uh, I put my money. Yeah, but I think that uh, I think that USC has enough guys in there that like you know I I I feel pretty confident that Drake Jackson and J Tufele will you know produce something. You know I think you'll have a moment where Marlon Tupelotu gets into the backfield like that kind of thing. I could see USC getting getting two or three in this. All right, fair enough. If it would have been uh, a line for tackles for loss, I probably would have taken the over. But sacks is where I'm a little timid. Uh, I think Tyler Huntley can get can get away from those and elude them. Uh, let's go to mine. Two and a half catches for Amon Ross St. Brown, which sounds insane here, but uh, let, let's talk this out. Uh, throughout uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's long, 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 long 15 game career, he has played. Two games in the state of Utah, he has collectively had one catch for four yards in those two games in the state of Utah. In every other state he's played in, he's caught 5.6 catches per game for 68.1 yards per game. Alicia, I'm fully aware that Los Angeles is in California and not in Utah, but Utah was still the team, the only team that has completely shut him out for zero catches and zero yards, which happened last year at Rice-Eccles, and Amon Ra is coming off a game in which he had one catch for four yards this past weekend in Provo against BYU. That's why the line's at two and a half. Two and a half for any game for Amon Ra St. Brown is an easy over, but I think there's reasons to be hesitant here, so two and a half is the number. Well, not the least of which is that he didn't practice on Tuesday, so I don't know what his, like, injury status is. Like, you know, I... I, I suspect he's gonna play on Friday but I can't guarantee that so I don't know I don't know I don't I feel like if I take the under I'm just setting myself up for failure but I don't know I don't I don't know I think mm, and USC's gonna have to do a lot of passing in this game I think they're gonna make it more of an effort to get Amon Ross St. Brown the game Amon Ross St. Brown the um to get him the ball. But can we agree to like to like take this over under off the board if he's injured and out? Can we take yeah, that, that out that, of the, cuz that's not that, the spirit of the of the question. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, then then in that case I'm going to go over. Okay. Um I feel like that certainly changes things. Huh. Huh. If I say over 2 then it just takes the entire thing off the board. But I don't want to take the under there. Wait, just because you and I would both get it right or get it wrong together doesn't mean that you want to get it wrong. Like, no, like, but I, I would, I would like to advance my lead over you. Certainly, given the over and <laughs> fine, whatever. Our, our pal Jake is rolling in his grave over here. I know. Uh, well, hopefully, you just he's not put in a grave. Jake in the grave. What the heck? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You know what I mean. You know. Wow, Michael. <laughs> Sorry. Harsh. I, I can't speak English well. Uh, let's go to the next one. What's your last over-under? I'm going 35.5% on third down conversions for USC. 
35.5 was their low for the season so far. That was against BYU. They've averaged this season 43%. Utah is first in the Pac-12 with a 30% third down defense rate. So is USC going to be, is USC going to set a new season low for third down conversions or are they going to get up above what they did for BYU? So I just want to put some context here. Uh, Utah is the number one third down defense in the Pac-12 at 30.6%. That's 34th in the country. Yeah. (laughs) So the Pac-12 is just not good defensively on third downs. Uh, Give me the over. You're taking the over. Yeah. I think think it's reasonable to expect that SC will be over. So far this year, they're averaging 43.6, like you said. So I will take the over. Yeah, I'm I have a feeling this is going to be like 36. <laughs> it like, might be close. It might be really I'm close. I'm going to take the over knowing full well that like it's either going to be 34 or 36. But okay. I think that you're right. It's more likely that USC will have more conversions than not just cuz they're going to have I think a lot of opportunities. All right, that is uh, that is more than fair. Uh, last one. I'm going to go over or under nine and a half tackles for John Houston. He Ooh. had eight against BYU, uh, but he had 13 in the opener against Fresno State. Um, hmm. Five against Stanford. Hmm. I'm going to go under on this just because I, I, I'm more confident in others being up there. Uh, I think there might be a lot of different tacklers. Um I don't know. I just feel more comfortable going under on this. All right. It might be bold, but I'm taking the over here. I, I think that John Houston was USC's best player on defense on Saturday, and I expect him to be, once again, USC's best player on defense on Friday. Maybe that's bold. Maybe that's stupid. I don't know, but I think he gets double-digit tackles. I mean, I, I think it's entirely possible. I think this one's this one, of all the other unders, this one is the hardest to predict. Because I can completely, see this going so completely. many We've never ways. done a tackles number, I don't think. So uh, this might be the last time we do this, or this might be a mainstay. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to the round index. Pretty simple. If USC scores 31 points, they'll win this game. If USC holds Utah to, mm-hmm, let's say, 13, SC will win this game. Yes. I agree with all of those. Even, even a bad over-under, I mean, sorry, even a bad offensive performance for USC's offense. I still am pretty confident of them getting two touchdowns, if not three. There are three touchdown offense, even when they're bad. Let's get into game predictions. Bill Connolly's numbers I haven't seen yet. Um, we're, we're recording this preview earlier than we usually do in the week, uh, so I haven't seen those numbers. But uh, Utah, three-and-a-half-point favorites in Vegas. Alicia, what is your prediction? My prediction is... Utah, 33, USC, 26. All right. I could see it. Like I said, USC is a three-touchdown offense. They'll get a couple field goals in there. But uh, the defense is probably going to give up uh, one too many scrambles, and I don't think the defensive line is going to be able to stop uh, Zach Moss. All right, so you have the Utes covering. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Like I said, there's no football reason on earth uh, to pick USC in this game. There's no football reason really at all uh, for Utah to lose this game. So it makes the pick really easy. 
We're going to USC 38, Utah 24. That's right. You heard it correct. SC wins this game by double digits. Why? Because there's no freaking reason in which they should. (laughs) And what happens? You just took your BYU score and repeated it is really what you just did. That's right. Uh, There's no football reason for USC to win. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. There's no football reason for SC to win this game. But what does SC do? SC makes you suffer. This is true. It, 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 would be so, it would be so USC to lose last week, and then just when you think they're dead, they'll give you some hope. They'll give you some hope against a team like Utah, a team that is ripe for letdowns because this is what Utah is, right? Like A, a team that can't be trusted. And so here we are, um, and since there's no football reason to pick USC, I'm going to do it just because I'm that person. Apparently. It makes no sense. USC does not make any sense. SC is going to win this game by double digits and give you hope that they'll beat Washington and they're going to lose by double digits next next week. Spoiler alert. Oh, dear. I don't want to live in your universe, Michael. I'm just telling you. Build your hopes up and then smash them. Uh, build no, your hopes a, up uh, and then you, smash them. You were correct. That sounds very USC. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not realistic. I'm just saying I don't want to live it. Like I said, no football reason to pick USC, but here I am. Uh, let's get our mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from Michael in Idaho. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Michael again in Idaho. I just listened to CarCast. It's about 1230 our time here, so I'm a little bit tired from watching all the football today. Um, anyway, I, I kind of think, and maybe it's a hazard of what y'all do is, um, I think you're overthinking the room. I mean, we had a, a rookie quarterback who threw three interceptions, and uh, when you three, make you know three turnovers, you're going to lose. Generally, that's just what happens. Um, and in terms of the line play, at least the way uh, Pete Arbogast was describing it, it seemed like Cromenhoek was in, was pulling almost on every play. Um, so I'm not sure. Where you guys thought the, uh, the wide receivers weren't out there doing stuff, but um, there again, since you know, as you know, I'm blind, so I've got to go by what the radio guys are saying. Um, also, there was, as I said in my first message, some pretty bad officiating. Not to put the loss on the officials, but when you put the combo of the officiating, um, the bad calls, and um, give uh, BYU some credit for scrambling, especially their Wilson for scrambling and that sort of stuff, uh, it's going to happen. I, I think you're overreacting and panicking a little bit. Um, although I think Utah's, like you said, is going to be a lot tougher competition. So anyhow, fight on. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. I actually think that's optimistic, Michael. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think Michael makes some good points. I think he's taking a very reasonable look at this game in a vacuum. And I think the problem is, is that like I can no longer watch USC in a vacuum. Like I can't. I can't just let it be about the three interceptions. I can't just let it be about the bad officiating. All of those things are true. Um, but it's the way that it that it, that it resembled so many of the games last year. And frankly, USC is now in a position where if you are letting those kinds of things keep you in a game with BYU, then you're not at the level that you should be. Um, you know, if this was a Pete Carroll era team, 
where they were winning games, you know, outright impressively most of the time. And they had, you know, those the, the, that the one game where they struggled and had to pull one out, then it would be one thing. That would be one thing. But that's that's not what this team is. And it's not what this team has been. So I'm not going to like I've been cutting them slack for years now. I'm I, I'm done cutting them slack. And so it's really the way that we're reacting to it is just in the context of having seen it one too many times and, and having given that explanation one too many times and having been reasonable one too many times. I'm, I'm just I just can't can't do it anymore. And and I think it's perfectly reasonable for for Michael to look at it in that reasonable vein. But it's just, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I hope Michael's right. And not you, Michael, Michael in Idaho. Because the, I, the I optimism that, that you're pushing is, is really just optimism. Optimism? I don't know what optimism you're talking about. There's no football reason to pick USC in this game. <laughs> you just picked USC. But you did so in a very uh, masochistic kind of kind of vein where, you know, I think I think I would love for the optimist to be right in this case. Well, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to cut you saying I hope Michael is right. And that's going, <laughs> it's going to be a new drop. Yeah. It's going to be great. I hope Michael's right. I hope Michael's right. I hope Michael's right. Uh, let's also go to a voicemail we got uh, from a Rotbot on the East Coast. Hello. Uh, thank you, Michael and Alicia. You guys give a great podcast. Uh, just watched the BYU game. Uh, very disappointed fan from the East Coast. Just wanted to hope uh, you could check a stat for me. What was their success on uh, first down and run plays versus first down and pass plays? They, it looks like they kept doing the same thing that failed every time, especially in the second half. Uh, if you could check that out for me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. So thanks for the call. Uh, next time, leave your name. Uh, you know, just just so we know what to call you. But uh, thanks for the call. Uh, and uh, this was an interesting question because it sort of raised a question in my mind of, yeah, how you know what was going on on first down? Was USC getting behind schedule? Was USC, uh, you know, just ramming their head against the wall and doing the same things over and over again and and not having success? Were they overly reliant on the run on first down? Were they then telegraphing what they were going to do as a result? So I went through and looked at every first down that USC had in this game, and I was a little bit surprised, actually. Um, and and Michael can see this on our little rundown. I went through and uh, highlighted them with the most obnoxious colors that Michael has, uh, has described. But this visual kind of goes to show that USC wasn't doing the same thing over and over on first down. They were very much alternating. It was, you know, pass, run, run, pass, pass, run, pass, run, pass, pass, run run, pass on the different first downs. So they were mixing that it up. beat. That's a good beat. Yeah, it was a good beat. Um, the, so, the, you know, the color coding, you see it just switch back and forth. And uh, I thought that was interesting because I wouldn't have guessed that. And then also when you look at the, so they had 19 rushing plays on first down, 14 passing plays on first down. And uh, they had 83 yards on those rushing plays for 4.36 yards per carry. There was a touchdown, and eight of those 19 plays were for less than four yards. Um, but in the game, I think I think what you saw on first down was pretty much indicative of what the game was like, because in the game, the running backs averaged 4.17 yards per carry. So, you know, it was, it was pretty much uh, 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 along the lines of what the overall game performance was, where it was feast or famine in the run game, uh, whether it was on first down, second down, or third down. When it comes to the pass game, 
Keaton Slovis was 10 of 13 on 14 rushing plays. The 14th was a sack for minus six yards. Uh, So he had 122 yards passing on those first downs with a touchdown and interception. And the the offense averaged 8.28 yards per play on passing plays. That falls pretty much in line with what they were doing with the rest of the game as well. The the overall average uh, per attempt in the game was 8.3 yards for USC. So basically what I what I've discovered is that what USC was doing on offense was really no different than what USC on first down was really no different than what they were doing on offense in general. And the only thing that I could that sort of like broke down and looked at was maybe coming into play was was the first half versus the second half. Uh, split a little bit different once they got out of halftime and were trying to sort of protect Keaton Slovis a little bit. And in the first half, they had eight pass plays and nine run plays on first down. In the second half, they had six pass plays and 10 run plays on first down. So it's not a huge difference, but there's that little bit of a discrepancy there where they were running the ball a little bit more often on first down in the second half, but like it wasn't a lot more often and it wasn't any more or less successful than what they were doing um, in general uh, throughout the game. So that's my analysis. I hope it hope it uh, is interesting. I, I wish it had told us a little bit more, but, you know, sometimes just bad is bad, <laughs> whether whether it's on first, second, or third down. I think that's what the, the big conclusion. Yeah, bad is certainly not good. I would, uh, I would agree. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Drew titled, Baxter Must Go. Uh, does Helton have any balls to fire Baxter? An illegal wedge penalty? Griffith's completely regressing from his fall performance. As much as Baxter makes and as much time is spent on special teams in practice, they're reprehensible on special teams. After the first touchdown, they even went to that god-awful two-point decoy play that I always thought was a Kiffin idea. You never want to go full Kiffin. Drew from Balboa Island. Uh, Drew, that (laughs) whole thing, the swinging gates... That was brought to USC by John Baxter from Fresno State in 2010. So Kiffin hired Baxter, and that's how it happened. Yep. Yep. And uh, all I got to say on this is look at how long it took Clay Hilton to get rid of Neil Calloway. Can we blame this on Neil Calloway? Yeah, maybe we can. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> sums it up pretty well. Uh, Baxter is going to go when Clay Hilton goes. Yes. That's that's how really it is at that this simple. point. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could find a way for Baxter to go and have a, quote, retirement. But he's he's not going to get fired. Uh, let's go to an email from Alan. Ben Griffiths, question mark. Uh, where are the big punts skipping out of bounds inside the five-yard line? Hashtag MIA punting. Alan, class of 1977. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. We had this discussion in our... Uh chat group with the THT guys uh, and I I sort of came to the, the conclusion that when we saw him punting in, in practice it was in a very controlled environment where he wasn't actually facing a live rush even when they do live rush like he's not actually in danger of getting his punt block because the, the, the guys rushing off the edge pull up so maybe he's just nervous. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know, guys. I don't know. My I mean, God, Ben Griffiths. Here's my optimistic take on Ben Griffiths. This is. These are his first three games, punting, in a football, playing in a football game in any context. So maybe he just needs time, to get comfortable, to get used to, 
uh, the depth perception in a stadium, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. This is my optimistic take. We'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he didn't have a terrible game against BYU, certainly. Uh, and those punts were inside the 20, but... They did they, the job. They were adver- He was advertised as putting those things inside the 5. Yeah. Inside the 10. They, they weren't there. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, we'll, yeah, but we'll, if, Reed we'll Budver- if Reed Budrovich had put three punts at the, you know, between the 10 and 15 yard line, the way that Ben Griffiths had... Like, I don't think any, I don't think we would be having, we, we would not be getting questions about, you know, what's going on with the punting. So, you know, this is partly like. And, but nobody was talking about Reed Butrovich. Right, right. But so this is partly like. Reed Butrovich doesn't eat Vegemite and isn't, you know, older right, than his is, older brother. But this is kind of why I caution people about, like, don't read too much into spring and fall camp. Because, like, then you're going to, like, you know, think that. I don't know. At least just accept it. You're fake news, okay? <laughs> well, fake yes, news. clearly. Clearly. Fake news. Uh, let's get an email from Lamont in Atlanta. Uh, Michael and Alicia, I've had the long belief that USC was headed in the wrong direction. We are now because we have been stuck in the past and not the past they should refer back to. USC has always believed they need a prototypical quarterback to run the system. There have been just a couple of outliers like Sam Darnold and Rodney Pete. Those two were quarterbacks that had the ability to to extend the play, even though they weren't considered a running quarterback. The one thing we should be absolutely committed to this year is to make sure you lock in the commitment of Bryce Young. Why was Sam Darnold so successful in Helton's system? Because he had the ability to improvise when someone got open, and JT and Keaton aren't able to do that. You could get away with bad offensive line play because Sam hid their faults. Could you imagine what we would look like if SC had Jalen Hurts? Until SC makes up their mind to step into this era of football and recruits mobile quarterbacks like Khalil Tate, we will continue this roller coaster ride. Sorry for the lengthy email, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Lamont from Atlanta. Thanks for the email, Lamont. Um, uh, I just, I just, I just, I don't know. I think, I think the whole mobile mobile quarterback thing is a little bit of an oversimplification of the question. You ask every quarterback coach that's out there. Every single one of them says the first thing you do in a quarterback battle, the person who wins the battle is the one who throws the ball the best. And honestly, I don't think Sam Darnold is like some drastically better athlete than Keaton Slovis is. Like we've seen Keaton scramble. He's fine. He's just not, uh, he just doesn't have that backyard football kind of feel that Sam did. But like, I don't think Sam was like particularly mobile compared to other quarterbacks that USC has had in the past. He just was more willing to sort of, play backyard football, and that was unique to Sam Darnold. That was special for Sam Darnold. I don't think that you need to go out and recruit mobile quarterbacks specifically because they're mobile. I think you need to recruit the best quarterback that's out there. And if Bryce Young is the best quarterback, then go for Bryce Young and be happy that you get his his scrambling ability. But, like, I don't think you should shortchange the passing ability that you're looking for just because a quarterback isn't mobile. Like, I don't think that's the end-all, be-all. I think you can work with it. Yeah, I would say that how many games did we see Sam Darnold be rendered ineffective? Uh, Either Sam Darnold be rendered ineffective or the offense collectively rendered ineffective because of the offensive line play. That he couldn't overcome those things. Mainly, I'm talking about the Cotton Bowl. Even Sam Darnold couldn't overcome that. He had a bunch of passing yards in that game, but what did it mean? It meant nothing because the offense wasn't able to consistently string together long drives that were paid off. Um, Even as good as Sam Darnold was in that game, they... 
the the pressure got to him and they couldn't run the football and they were one dimensional and that was detrimental there. I, I absolutely think that Bryce Young could be awesome and SC needs to one hundred percent get Bryce Young. I, I just think that at the same point, a week ago we were talking about how Keaton Slovis did the things that Sam Darnold did to extend yeah. pockets and extend plays and all that stuff. So I would just say hold off for a quick second. Um, and, and see how it plays out plays out a little bit. I'm not expecting Keaton Slovis to look like Sam Darnold or anything, but the comparisons were definitely there a week ago, uh, and they're not now, and it's been a small sample size. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Tom. Uh, Hi, Michael. And Lisa. I really enjoyed last week's win over Stanford, but hearing talks of Heisman trophies and a Pac-12 South title had me wondering if people remembered that this is a Clay Helton coach team. The lack of consistency is a pretty clear sign that the talent is there, but not pop properly utilized. I'm not surprised USC lost, but I'm just tired of seeing this team underachieve. Three and three or two and four is the most likely scenario at the midpoint of the season. On the upside, it's pretty clear with Swan gone that Helton's seat is scorching hot. Fight on Tom from the Cayman Islands. I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, we've been having these conversations for a while, and... um. You know, a couple of years ago, I was willing to see how it would play out to see if Clay Elton could prove me wrong that he's not a national title winning head coach. And we've seen how that played out. So I'm ready for the next conversations. Yeah, I, we've talked about this, you know, off air that the the frustrated part of all this is how everything can get re- reduced to but but Clay Helton. Yeah. And it makes it really difficult to have any dis- discussion about the team because everything can be, yeah, but Clay Helton. And it's not that that's wrong. It's definitely not wrong. It's just the, the idea of it gets very frustrating. Very old. Uh, it'd be ni- Yeah, very old. It'd be, it'd be great to be able to talk about this team and not have everything, yeah, but Clay Helton. Nah, but Clay Helton. Whether that's right or wrong is beside the point. It's just that that's always going to be a discussion point and a narrative until it's not anymore. So it's tiring. Which leads us into an email aptly from a, quote, frustrated fan. Uh, Thank you for all that you do on air. I'm just tired of hearing Helton's excuses. Uh, Same excuses, different year slash loss. I heard ESPN reporters saying how USC looked tired. Could it be poor conditioning on USC's coaching staff and high altitude? If altitude conditioning was the case, then when can we expect Or what can we expect when USC plays at Colorado? If you read this on air, please send an SOS to Carol Folt. She's our only hope. Fight on a frustrated fan. Yeah, thank you for the email, frustrated fan. I think there are a lot of frustrated fans out there. Um, I I do think that uh, the conditions at BYU seem to play a factor. I I thought that USC was a little bit, uh, they they certainly looked winded. Drake London talked about how, sorry, Drake, jeez. Drake Jackson, one of these days, I'm going to get that right. Drake Jackson talked on Tuesday about how it was jarring, how they started running and then immediately got the cotton mouth feeling and all that kind of stuff. So you're definitely feeling the altitude. I mean, I was out there on the field and I was feeling the heat. I was feeling the sun. The sun was just very intense. And it's the kind of like intense sun that just sucks all your energy out. So like I sympathize with that. But at the same time, yeah, you do need to be prepared for that. You do need to be in such good condition that um that 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 you can overcome that or you need somebody to be responding well to that you need somebody to be monitoring guys hydration levels and all that kind of stuff so 
you know, it's the kind of thing that it is hard to play on the road. It is. I mean, people always talk about how difficult it is to play Denver, the the Denver Broncos. It's just difficult to play at mile high. Um, so these, those, you know, some of those factors are just things that are always going to be in the in in case. But like, it's also not an excuse for the way that USC played. Like, it would be one thing if USC was a, a good road team and they went on the road to BYU and struggled and they were sort of caught off guard by by how hot it would be and the altitude and all that kind of stuff. But USC has been a bad road team under Clay Hilton. So like, I don't think that it's not the kind of thing that you point to as go like, that's why they lost on the road. Like, no, they lose on the road because they lose on the road all the time. Like that's this is a consistent performances from USC. So there's a lot of other things that are going going on in it. But, you know, that's that's the where we're at with this. I feel about um, altitude, like I feel about conditioning, um, criticism in general. It's not tangential. Uh, you, I don't think we can sit here and say, "Oh, this was definitely because of the altitude," or it definitely was not. Yeah. Uh, or we can we can definitely not come up here and say what, how they could have done anything better or not well there's like that's the thing is that like for instance like i do a lot of hiking and i do you know i do a lot of mountain uh, hiking in the mountains and i get altitude sickness and i have done a lot of training in mountains and every time i get up to you know a certain certain altitude i feel it immediately whether we're driving up into the mountains or whether we're hiking up to to certain elevations like i feel it no matter what some people are just gonna feel it some people aren't, you know, my, some of my, my friends and I talk about like some of our hiking friends, they're like mountain blood. They don't feel it at all, but some people will always feel it. And there's no way you can prepare for it. The best you can do is, you know, pop a few ibuprofens and hope that you can sort of just charge through it. But, you know, it's just the altitude is reality. Um, USC should be able to beat but, BYU at any altitude is, is sort of really what I look at. At the, the same point, this game was played in Provo. It yeah. wasn't playing on, on the the summit of Mount Everest. No, but four thousand feet, you'll feel. You 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 do feel it. I mean, for someone but, like me, I'm, I'm just I'm saying, born like, and raised it, in the valley. Like I'm, I feel every bit of altitude. I I get that. I'm just saying that, like these to me, that these things are just if it's if it's too easy to point to. With no evidence to back it up or not back it up. Well, it's, so, it's and, the kind of. I'm not saying that it's not a factor. I'm no, just saying it, that that I'd rather talk about the reasons that they lost that we know of. Right. That they they struggled uh, against a three man rush, that they couldn't set an edge, that Keaton Slovis threw three interceptions. Those are the reasons that they lost this game that we can talk to about in actual fact. Then whether or not they handled the 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 altitude and the conditioning and all that stuff, because both teams have to have to face that. And I get that BYU is there and it's a home game for them, but. I don't, these are, I don't know. I, I want to talk about things that are hardcore facts. Well, I think USC lost that game because they couldn't block Tonga. Like, I don't think Brett right. Nealon was incapable of blocking. He, he got beat two times in the first two plays of the game. So it's not like he was, like, totally exhausted in the first two plays of the game. Like, that really wasn't. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it's going to be mail from LA Fred. Michael and Alicia. Well, the feel-good week is now over. This brought back all of the frustration from the past few years. No way USC should lose this game today. I, I know, I, I said that on the last podcast. Um, I do not envy your rewatch, Alicia. I think you will see some glaring problems. 
Our O-line got owned by mostly a two- to three-man BYU front. Brett Nealon was terrible. He was manhandled all day, cannot run for squat when we really need a third or fourth and short. Slovis's ball security was terrible. Throwing into crowds, putting it on the ground, staring at his targets, lots of confusion. Confusion, having play clock run down several times. He looked like a true freshman. Alicia, you weren't just with this game. Bad Slovis was coming, and he did. The defense gave up so many big plays, poor angles, bad tackles, can't contain a mobile quarterback. Same old, same problems, just a different day. The edge and perimeter containment was terrible once again. How the heck does this issue not get corrected? Can I blame Clancy Pendergast for this? Where is our speed and athleticism that everyone says we have across the field? We look slow and tired at times. Zero pass rush in the first half, no pressure. No generating generating any turnovers. The ones we had couldn't make the easy catch. Special teams, more penalties on the returns as usual. Tyler Vaughn's muffs a punt. BYU muffs a kickoff, yet our coverage still allows them to return it behind the beyond the 25-yard line. How? We don't return a kick to the 30-yard line ever with most about to the 23. Then there's Ben Griffiths. Okay, I was sympathetic to your and everyone's camp crush on him, Alicia, but we are now through three games and he has not been good. He cannot hit a punt beyond 50 yards, well, one time. Can't pin the ball ball inside the 15-yard line despite multiple attempts. When we need a really big boom, he goes for about 35 yards. Time to crack open the punting competition. He may be all that in Australian rules football, but he is crap in the NCAA. Looking forward to hearing all the Fire Helton rant call, line of calls again. It was fun for the last week without it, but now it's back to reality. You guys are the best. L.A. Fred. Thank you, L.A. Fred. That's an excellent email. Uh, I don't disagree with, I mean, I, I, I agree with pretty much the whole thing, but one particular line stands out. Open the punting competition back up. I think I talked to somebody my at the... My God, Ben Griffiths. This has nothing to do with Ben Griffiths either, my, my my pointing this out. I think I was talking to somebody at the meetup. Uh, there is no co- punting competition, guys. There is no one behind Ben Griffiths. Trust me, I've seen the people punting behind Ben Griffiths. If you think Ben Griffiths is bad, you don't want anybody who else who is punting on this team punting instead of Ben Griffiths. Like, as we talked about... He hasn't been great. That's his biggest his biggest sin is that he hasn't been great, but he's been sufficient. Um, he'll do. He'll do fine. You can, you know, he's not the worst. He is far from the worst thing on special teams. The best thing on special teams is Chase McGrath. He's been money. Ben Griffiths has been at least consistent. He hasn't been bad. There have been a lot of other things on special teams that have been flat out bad. Uh, USC doesn't need to open this punting competition at all. Trust me. Uh, but otherwise, I think L.A. Fred hit, like, every nail on every head uh, across the board. Still shilling. Still shilling. I'm just like, I, okay, okay I, want, I want to ask anybody, name, tell, tell me who you want to punt that isn't Ben Griffiths. Tell, tell me. Randall Cunningham. You know what he did at UNLV? I've been hitless and Harvey Hyde, <laughs> and he could punt. Yeah. All right. Let's get an email from John in Oakland. Uh, hi, Alicia and Michael. Well, I'm officially done with the Hilton era. And someone has to pay for ruining my Saturday. So how about this approach for his replacement? Hire Dave Aranda, the DC from LSU, as a replacement for both Helton and Pendergast. Keep the rest of the staff, offense and defense. This limits the financial damage to just Helton, Pendergast, and Aranda. I'm not. I'm really not that upset with Pendergast as a DC, but if he stayed, I don't know how he would work out with Aranda. Fight on, John in Oakland. 
This is interesting because John and Oakland th- and I talked a lot at the meetup before the season. And, you know, he was really positive about SC going into the season. And we were talking about how, you know, SC still had the chance to put together a really good year if they, if they really did turn around and, and fix all the things they are. And here we are talking about replacements. Uh, Dave Aranda, I, you know, we can, we can talk about the, the Ryan Abraham laws for hiring a new coach, someone with no ties and someone who has experience and all that stuff. I think the exception is an elite defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. I think Dave Aranda fits that bill for me. I I don't think that hiring someone like Dave Aranda is a crime in terms of him not having experience. Doesn't make him a guarantee, but neither would going out and hiring Matt Campbell be. Yeah, there are no guarantees in hiring a head coach. I I actually case in point. Case in point, you know Chip Kelly. That, yes, I mean case in point. A lot of a lot of different coaches out there. Um, I always look at it thinking like, remember when you know Justin Fuente got hired at Virginia Tech and it was like he was the next big thing. And you see what he's done at Virginia Tech. Like he has, he's been not great, not bad, but not great. Um, there's there's a lot of ways to whiff on a on a head coach. So I'm I'm on board with the Dave Aranda thing. Um, I'm actually like hearing John reference it that way. Like I'm almost on board with just like f- unless we're talking like super 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 elite head coach out there that you could get. Like I'm I'm on board with just saying hire a defensive coach. Like I don't care just so long as their background is defense and they they're successful. Like elite DC, whatever it is, track record of success, but find somebody on the defensive side of the ball because we've seen at USC offensive side of the ball guys and it's just been nothing but a disaster. Just go with somebody who's on defense and I'll I'll be ready for it as a change of pace. But having said that, the problem with the suggestion that John has where you keep the staff and that way you limit your buyout damage if you're going to hire a new head coach, I think you have to hire a new head coach and give him the opportunity to put his staff together. You don't want to hamstring him with uh, with assistance that we've already seen. Like, for instance, Clay Helton is the root problem of a lot of USC's problems, but also his staff is part of that. Like, if you think that USC's players aren't getting coached up properly, then you're also acute, you know, th- pointing fingers at USC's staff. So um, I don't think logistically it works just because... A head coach, a new head coach that you bring in should have every right to install his staff. And if he wants to keep some of those guys around, then more power to him. But the the new head coach should have just across the board control as far as who his staff is. Yeah, you, you know, I talk a lot about how I'm not a fan of narratives. Um, one of those narratives that I don't necessarily care for is you have to have a defensive coach. I think that it's just. It's I think that you have le- to have. I just would prefer. Why? Because Pete Carroll was a defensive guy. No, if that's the reason. That's not a reason to do it. No, because USC has had a bunch of quarterbacks be for, former quarterbacks be the be the head coach, and I'm t- I'm but, tired. But of, that doesn't mean that a defensive coach is the answer. I would prefer a defensive coach. That's all I'm saying. I would prefer a defensive minded pace because it'll feel good inside. No, I, because I prefer defensive minded head coaches because I think it's easier to find a, a an offensive coordinator who can run your offense well than to than to have. 
your defensive coordinator not be like the that the, is the, a great point yeah that's, I, it's easier to find a good oc than it is a good dc yeah so i i, I would agree with that point um but like Dabo sweeney uh I'd take Dabo. No, I'm not saying offensive that offensive co- offensive coaches can't be good. I'm just Lincoln saying Riley. I prefer a offensive defensive guy. coach. Like it's really yeah. that simple. Like I, I'm not I'm saying just, offensive coaches are bad. I'm just saying I, that, I have I know, a preference. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm just saying that I've heard plenty of people like, well, you can you only win a national championship with a defensive coach or whatever. And to me, that is just well, that's not true. I mean, that's a generalization. It, it's pseudoscience. Yeah, um, but. Anyways, I yeah, I, I'd be all on board with Dave Aranda, but I agree that you, if no matter who you hire, you got to let them choose their guys. Um, yeah, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Uh, it's been super long. We talked about it before we recorded. We're like, we're not gonna go longer than an hour and a half. We cannot go longer than an hour and a half. And here we are, two hours of, of recording. Time. Hey, hey. Based on normal runtime, the fact that we were within thirty minutes of our stated target is actually good. quite good. Yeah, but it's also past midnight. I'm really tired. Yeah. I still got to edit this thing. I still got to finish the rant lines. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. The rant line was not done when we recorded this thing, so we kind of faked it. Wow, Michael. Way to way to kill it. Way to reveal Did. the inside, like, sources. Should I have not said that? I mean, to be fair, we've listened to most of the rant line calls. I just haven't heard your edited yes. version of it, so. Yeah. Um, is this is this as bad as the car cast that aren't car cast? Uh, we're just fake news across the board, Michael. Jeez. Revealing all our secrets. Are are we the baddies? Are we the bad guy? I don't know. In the words of Billie Eilish, I'm the bad guy. Duh. Who's Billie Eilish? You don't know that song? How do you not know that song? Jeez, it's everywhere. Never heard of him. I, well, Billie Eilish is a woman, but okay. Never heard of her. <laughs> Never heard of them. It's 2019. Never heard of them. There you go. Anyways, we're going to wrap up there. Uh, we'll see you next time. Phone number 213-373-1872. Email address reinoftroyapanside.com. Until then, we will see you. See ya. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.